0: Dan Clayton of Salt City Hoops now joins us here to talk about jazz basketball. Recap their win over the Pacers. Dan, how we doing? Oh, Dan, you got us?
1: Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Oh, you're good. My, device, my devices are arguing with we, with each other. Yeah,
0: that's, that's usually always how yeah That's fun. Yeah. Well, it's Eric, like us
2: in the studio. We're oh, always arguing with
0: okay, each other. Okay. Okay. Calm down. <laughs> uh, Dan, big win for the uh, Utah Jazz. Uh, after the loss of Mitchell... Uh, what stood out to you the most about how the Jazz were able to rally from a seventeen-point deficit and win this game?
1: Yeah, defense mostly. I mean, Rudy Gobert was just—he was ridiculous in the second half of that game. Um, you know, Damanis Sabonis had had really—you know—he'd gotten the best of Rudy a couple times in that matchup in the early part of the game, and and Rudy is is the type of—he's <clears throat> the type of basketball sociopath, and I mean that in the best way possible. Who like when you? When you eat his lunch a little bit, he's gonna he's gonna take that personally and he's gonna come back and he's gonna wanna get you back. And he he certainly shut Sabonis down in the third quarter. And then even into the fourth quarter, you just saw Sabonis um, kind of being afraid to do the to do some of the same things with the basketball that he had tried earlier in the game because of how consistently Rudy had, had shut him down after halftime. And that really gummed up Indiana's offense because so much of their offense does move through the all-star big man. So you know, really, I think it was, it was just the, the stinginess of Utah on defense that even gave them a chance to be in a game that, frankly, they had no business being in, you know, having been down by, by 17 points early and then by 13 at the half. It's, it's kind of amazing that they were in position to win that game at all, and, and especially that they wound up winning by, you know, a margin of, I think, eight points, eight or 10 points. Um, yeah, eight. eight. So, yeah, it was, it was mostly just the way they turned it around on the defensive end.
2: So we well, don't know how long Donovan's going to be out just yet. He's got another MRI. Uh, well, not another. He's got an, an MRI scheduled. He already had X-rays, um, but it's he's going to miss some time. We know that. We don't know how much time. How yeah. does this team? I mean, how looking at the games ahead? How does this team move forward without Donovan in the lineup? Or the short term?
1: Yeah, that's that's the question, man. Um. <laughs> So the, the Jazz have this, um, this baseball series against um, L.A. They have consecutive games against the Lakers tomorrow afternoon and then again on Monday evening. Um, the good news for the Jazz is that after that, after those games, and remember that LeBron James is still out for those Laker games and, and Anthony Davis is, is doubtful to return for either of those Jazz games. So they'll face a starless um, or, or worst-case scenario, one-star L.A. team. And then after that, they have exactly three games left against teams with a, with a winning record. They have home games against Portland and Denver, and they have one visit back down to Phoenix. So the rest of their games should be pretty winnable games. So, so I still think that Utah has a, has a pretty good chance to have the inside lane on holding on to that top seed, even with a Donovan Mitchell injury. But obviously, if, if he's going to miss any real length of time, then, you know, that does affect that does affect championship odds, right? Like, this is a year that the Jazz were poised to go into the playoffs thinking, like, they had a shot, right? Like, the, they're not favorites, but that's because this particular year, nobody's a favorite. There are, you know, four teams in the West um, after the Jamal injury, the Jamal Murray injury in Denver. Um, you know, depending on how real you think Phoenix is, there are four teams in the West that believe they have a real shot. There's three 3.5 teams in the east that think they have a real shot. The Jazz are in that group of, you know, seven or eight title contenders. And um, you know, if if they do have to be without Donovan Mitchell for a long stretch of time, then they have to really reinvent a lot of things. They have to completely rethink their rotation because right now what they're doing with with staggering the three all-stars and, you know, letting Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley sub back in and kind of go beat up on bench units That only works because they have Donovan Mitchell and and because Donovan is as good as he is and he can carry that sort of hybrid bench unit that helps them bridge from the starting lineup to when Mike and Rudy check back in. So, you know, who knows if that's still going to be available to them while they wait for Donovan to get healthy. And, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, Eric, at this point, we don't know. If, if that waiting process is, you know, a few days, a week, a couple of weeks, or, you know, a month or more, we'll just have to wait for more from, uh, from the Jazz's medical team.
2: Well, And I think as a follow-up to that, this is a discussion we've been having this week, is really how important is it to still have that number one seed? Uh, we're seeing teams in the East, uh, other teams uh, purposely resting their players. They don't seem to really care about their seed as long as they're healthy for the playoffs. Is it a similar situation for the Jazz or is that number 1 seed really important for Utah?
1: No, I think in the Western Conference it's really important this particular year. And the reason I say that is cuz again, you've got you've got five really really good teams in the West. Probably, you know, probably the Jamal Murray injury takes Denver out of being real real title contenders. I mean, you know, they they still I guess are there with a puncher's chance in the sense of like, you know, if somebody if if an opponent turned an ankle at the wrong time or whatever but you know like you've got la la utah phoenix and denver as sort of the first tier when everybody's healthy then you've got at six and seven you've got portland and dallas two really good teams who are led by all nba level superstars and then you've got a big gap between seven and eight so i think that this is a year where it really does matter to be number one because you know if you're the number one seed you're going to face you know memphis or san antonio instead of facing um portland or dallas um also you know i think it might also just matter from a standpoint of momentum right the jazz have held that number one seat since early february and i think it is kind of a point of pride and a point of like mental momentum to say you know look like there have been some up and downs honestly but if you can look at your if you can look at your teammates and say hey, we've we've dominated the league this year, I, I think that that mentally is worth something and emotionally worth something going into the playoffs. But, you know, again, what's worth more than that? Having your guys healthy and especially having a star like Donovan Mitchell healthy. So they'll obviously make smart decisions about the long-term of, of both, you know, this year's title chances, but also Donovan's future and the team's future. But I think if they can get him back and, um, you know, try to capitalize on this opportunity and, and cash in on on all their great play up to this point that's put them in a position to be 42-14 and with 16 games left and to have a shot at making some noise in the postseason.
0: People have been blaming the Jazz schedule, and I've been going against that fault, that the schedule is what it is. You get injured if you get injured. Would you agree to the schedule that it has been a little bit grilling, or um, do you not believe that argument?
1: You know, I do. So, like, we know that factually, the season has been compressed because they're trying to fit in seventy-two games in a shortened calendar. Because, you know, they they couldn't start until they felt like they had a handle on their COVID protocols, and and until the nation's numbers, frankly, were in a place where it was even safe to put, you know, fifty people in a gym together at minimum. So, like, that's that's factual. Um, now, like, I don't know enough to say that. Jamal Murray's injury wouldn't have happened if he'd played one fewer game in the previous seven nights, right? Like, like it's basketball. So like sometimes guys get injured. It sucks. It's, it's really, it's a bummer that we don't get to see Jamal Murray follow up on last year's amazing playoff performance, but I'm, I'm not sure that we can necessarily, you know, from our comfortable sofas make the determination that it was, that it was because of of one thing or another thing. And what I will say though is that obviously, you know, we know because of of all the advanced, you, you know, the way science has advanced around understanding our bodies and the whole kinetic chain, is that you know if you're if you're playing on a sore ankle, then your knees at risk, and if you're playing on a sore knee, then your hips at risk, and if you know just that everything's connected in the body and. You know, I think that's what a lot of players are trying to get us to understand is this idea that, like, it's it's not about the number of games; it's about the lack of recovery time and the lack of time to get yourself whole before the next time that you got to go out and play. You know, a back-to-back or play four games in six nights, six nights, or something like that. So, you know, I don't pretend to know because I'm not a professional athlete and I'm not a doctor or an orthopedist. But at the end of the day, you know, it is it is a season where we've seen. More games compressed into into a, a shorter span. I, I think not to not to go on here, Ajay. But um, Tim McMahon of ESPN tweeted some tweeted some figures that he was that he was quite obviously fed from the league office, who was doing a little bit of damage control. But they, you know, they basically pointed out that like I don't remember the specific numbers, but it was something like this year teams are averaging three point six games per week instead of three point four games per week. So like it is more it's not like crazy more. It's not a, it's not like such a difference that you go, man, how are these guys like able to walk down the street? But, you know, obviously if the players are telling us that it's impacted them, then we should listen and we should, um, you know, try to have some empathy and understanding of, of what they're going through and why this is a season where rest has been so important to so many teams.
2: Dan Clayton with salt city hoops and uh, talking about the Utah jazz and Dan, this uh, I guess this NBA race to the finish line here. Just uh, yeah, how many games left? Fifteen, uh,
1: twenty for the Jazz. Yeah, tw- uh, as many as twenty for the Spurs, but in that somewhere in that range for just about everybody. So, uh,
2: for the Jazz to maintain that top spot, I mean, a, a quick guess estimate: where do they? What's their record need to be in that fifteen or sixteen game span?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they're pretty comfortable because. Um, they're back to having a, a full game-and-a-half lead over Phoenix after today's win. Um, or, excuse me, a, a full game, I should say. No,
0: it is it's a game-and-a-half. A game and and
1: yeah, game-and-a-half yeah. over Phoenix. Um, th- the difference is that Phoenix has a bunch of tough games left. Phoenix has...
2: they got a brutal um, East Coast road trip here,
1: right? They do, yeah. So um, they have seven games left against teams that have the best ten records in the league. Utah oh. only has five. <laughs> and two of them, they'll play this weekend against the Wounded Lakers. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, the Jazz have eight games left against the bottom ten teams, and Phoenix only has two of those types of games, and they're both on the road. So, you know, we can go through. Um, there are a lot of different ways to measure strength of schedule, but if you look at the basic thing, which is just average, the average record of their remaining opponents, the Jazz will face, on average, from here on out, teams that are. 449 in winning percentage, and Phoenix will face teams that are 554 in winning percentage. So that's a pretty large gap. So Utah realistically probably just needs to find a way to get to like 52 or 53 wins, which would be another 10 or 11 um, out of their remaining 16. And you know, I think that's doable. Although again, you know, a lot of it depends on how much time they're without Donovan Mitchell and how they can do in in games like the two coming up against LA.
0: I want to ask about Rudy Gobert in the uh, MVP race. Look, if if it's the Lakers, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Miami Heat, then it's it's their best player in a clear runaway for the MVP <laughs> award. But because it's the Utah Jazz, they can't sniff even the top five. Give me your thoughts on like if you had to play the devil's advocate of why Rudy Gobert is not in consideration for the MVP award, it would be. Well, I think what's tough about the Jazz is that they don't have
1: a quote-unquote traditional superstar, right? Like, even among the fan base, I think that you find differing opinions on is the real engine behind their success Rudy Gobert's defense and presence as a role man, or is it Donovan Mitchell's creation and shooting and scoring? So, you know, I think that that's one of the things that makes it tough is that there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of one siphoning votes off from the other, you know, frankly, I, I think that if you look at advanced measures, um, things like, you know, 538, the, the forecasting website, they have a metric called Raptor, in which Rudy Gobert literally ranks in the top three in the league. Um, there's a website called bballindex.com that has a, a metric called LeBron, and Rudy Gobert leads the league in that metric. And again, these are just kind of all in metrics that people have designed to use a combination of box score data and, and how a team performs on players on the court versus off to try to approximate their overall value. And because metrics like that, you know, just see the impact that he's had on the Jazz from a scoreboard perspective, uh, you know, those metrics would say that it's crazy to not at least have Rudy Gobert on your MVP ballot, uh, on your MVP ballot. You know, maybe he's not in the first spot on ballots, but that he should be somewhere on... On uh, you know these voters, these voters forms when they send them in. I don't think it'll play out that way. I think he'll get. I think he'll get some token votes. But I really think that this that the award is Nikola Jokic's to to lose this year, especially if the Nuggets are able to keep their momentum going and keep their foot on the pedal with this uh, Jamal Murray injury news.
2: Dan, last question for me, and you've already kind of alluded to this. The Jazz will need to change a little bit philosophically how they approach offensively and defensively, their opponents without Donovan Mitchell in the lineup. So who, yeah. who in your mind will need to step up to play a larger role, to have a bigger impact until he comes back?
1: Well, so it's funny because I, you know, I think when you talk about offense, there's like, there are scorers and there are shot creators. And what's tough for the jazz is that Donovan Mitchell is really the one guy who's both things, right? like, Jordan Clarkson can go out and get his own shot anytime he wants, right? And he can score with moderate efficiency. Um, he can go eat possessions and score a bunch of points and whatever. But he's not a guy you want running your offense for lengthy periods of time because he's not a shot creator. He's not like a facilitator. Mike Conley and Joe Ingles are facilitators. Um, they, they are guys who you want running the offense, but they're not guys that you can just say, all right, go find a way to score 13 points in this quarter and get in. So I think that's what's a little complicated um, is that the jazz aren't going to, they aren't going to be able to just turn to one player and say, Hey, go out and be the new Donovan Mitchell. I think to your point, they're going to have to restructure themselves a little bit philosophically and say, Hey, at times we're going to have to be okay with Jordan Clarkson or Boyan Bogdanovich, just like getting up shots. And there are other times where we're going to be methodical and we're going to have, you know, some half court pick and roll offense facilitated by, Conley and Ingles and, you know, hope that that produces, you know, some advantage basketball. And, and I think it's going to have to be a blend of those things. They just don't have a guy who, who really can fill both of those roles. And, um, and then, you know, just to say nothing of, like I mentioned before, their rotation is going to have to change. They can't do with their rotation, what they've been doing for the, for these previous 56 games, because that has worked for them because Donovan is is capable of carrying that that sort of inter, that that interstitial group that carries the team for a few minutes while Rudy and Mike get rests because you know Rudy and Mike have been running three stints per half and I'm not sure they can continue to do that if if there's no Donovan to keep the team afloat in those minutes unless unless you know Bogey or, or someone like that just goes crazy over the last 16 games or, or whatever portion of those Donovan misses.
0: Dan, from a national perspective, I've been saying that the Lakers are just kind of playing on the playground until it gets serious, uh-huh. and then when the guys get healthy, all hell's going to break loose. Uh, Maybe. I mean, with this, when LeBron and AD get healthy, do the Lakers really care where they get seated because they know when they get their full complementary guys back and they're all healthy – that they're going to run the table? or I mean, where's your thought process with them?
1: Well, uh, so here's what I'd say about L.A. Like, their defense is real, and their defense has held up even while the guys have been out, right? Even without LeBron and A.D., they've been guarding really well. Um, they've got good depth from a defensive perspective. Now, again, they don't have a lot of ways to generate offense, so that's what they've really been missing with those guys out, and that's why they've basically been a 500 team since LeBron hurt himself in that, in that Atlanta game you know, once they do get healthy, I do think they will, they will vault right back to being most people's favorite or co-favorite to come out of the West. I think where it gets a little dicey is, you know, remember that LeBron James is 36 and you know, he's like, he's amazing. The guy is amazing. He's a savant. He's a, he's an incredible athlete. He's doing things at age 36 that haven't been done at that age since like, Carl and honestly, even Carl didn't didn't like perform at this level. If you look at the full statistical contribution, um, but when a thirty-six year old and I say, like, hey, I'm forty-one, so like I understand. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here. If I didn't play basketball for two months and then suddenly came back and just expected myself to be at the same level, like. Sometimes the human body can't just flip that switch anymore when you're in your upper 30s and beyond. And so I think we have to see first, like, how LeBron looks when he gets back and, and if he needs some time to sort of shake the rust off. And, you know, that's less true for AD because he's younger. But let's remember that AD's thing was like a ca- a, a lower calf slash Achilles. Like, those injuries can be tough for guys from an explosion standpoint. So I think we need to see how they look before we schedule any parades. But, you know, obviously they, um, they, they're they probably going to be the road team in every series they play this off season or this postseason, and that matters too. Um, but, you know, let's say they line up across from Denver without Jamal Murray, and in the second round they, they're playing at Utah. And in, if they make it to the conference finals, they're playing – at the Clippers or at the Suns. Like, those are three tough series. So I do think that, you know, they can't just sort of, they can't just expect to magically find it. They're going to have to really focus on getting those guys back to their to their peak levels or near their peak levels. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that that's as automatic a thing after a long-term injury at that age. But, you know, again, the the dude is special, and he's made a career out of, like making people like me look stupid for doubting him. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, Dan, it's always great stuff. Always appreciate the insight. Uh, you always do your homework and bring uh, great takes on the show. We appreciate your, your time today, especially after a really interesting game. And We didn't even get a chance to talk about the impact of Dwayne Wade as an owner. No, not thing. at all. It really impacts the game that much, but maybe in future years. But we do appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for coming on, and, and tell us a little bit more about
0: your thoughts about Utah Jazz. Thanks, Dan. All right. Thanks, fellas. All right. The Again, f- Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops, the always fizzing, great. not him himself. Stuff. He is incredible, and we'll be having him on in the near future, especially when we get to playoff time.